Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and good morning in the West. Thanks for joining our webinar today. I'm Jessica Groskopf, a Nebraska Extension educator and Panhandle Regional Economist for Nebraska Extension. Welcome to our series of weekly webinars produced by the Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics. To find a complete schedule of our past recordings, please visit farm.unl.edu. We'd like to point out that the Rural Response Hotline remains a great resource for ag professionals across the state, providing mental health counseling information regarding legal assistance, financial clinics, mediation, and more. The hotline's toll-free number is 1-800-464-0258. We also have a wealth of resources related to stress and wellness at ruralwellness.unl.edu. This webinar is a panel discussion co-sponsored by the Nebraska Women in Agriculture Program to assist farmers and ranchers better understand their financial position. Today's webinar will focus on managing costs of production, including where to find cost of production information, characteristics of profitable operation, and areas to reduce costs without sacrificing productivity. We welcome your questions in the chat or the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. Please help me in welcoming our panelists. Our first panelist is Glennis McClure. Hello. <laughs> Glennis is an extension educator and farm and ranch management analyst. Our next panelist is Aaron Berger. Good afternoon, it's good to be with you today. Aaron is an extension educator for Beef Systems. We also have Austin Durfelt. How's everybody doing? Austin is an extension educator and agricultural economist. And finally, we have Tina Barrett. Good afternoon. Tina is the program manager of Nebraska Farm Business, Inc. This is a more interactive webinar. And again, we encourage your questions either through the chat box or the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. So let's get started. Glennis, what is the estimated cost to produce a bushel of corn or a bushel of soybeans here in Nebraska? All right, um, yes, I work with the crop budgets and some livestock budgets at, with the university. And um, every year, we've done these for many, many years. And uh, for our 2021 um, estimates, uh, of course, there's always a range, but so I'm just gonna go through some quick numbers for you. And I welcome any questions that you have through this webinar or later, of course, anytime you can you want to contact me, um, I can help you with information on that. But for dryland corn, 
we have, well, we have 83 different, 83 different um, budgets. And so they're numbered. So I'm going to say dry land corn number uh, 15. Um, you know, the, there's a high cost. We look at both as economic costs, a total economic cost and a cash cost. So that dry land budget was 100 bushel yield. So you always have to look at how the yield relates to your costs. We were looking at $3.04 on cash and $4.51 economic costs. So on the low side for dry land, budgets number 24 and 25, we were looking at 195 bushel yield. So obviously the yield makes a huge difference in those bottom lines, but $1.98 per bushel cash cost and $3.01 on, $3 on the economic cost. So when you turn to the irrigated budgets, we're looking at with one 175 bushel yield on the high side of cost, $2.99 cash, and $3.80 to cover all economic costs. And then on the low side with 275 bushel yield, we have $1.94 on the cash side and $2.80 on total economic costs. So then you asked about soybeans. We have um, 10 soybean budgets. There's three dry land budgets. And we're with those, we're, we were using about a 47 bushel yield. So with that, we look at a $5.53 per bushel cash costs and $8.31 total economic costs. On the irrigated side of things, low cash costs, $7.11. And on the high side, our budget number 60 um, with 67 bushel yield, $8.91 per bushel of total costs. So we know that this year, as we look at crop prices being a little bit better, you know, we should have better margins. Um, we, uh, we didn't have a, a huge change from um, 2020, although one of the factors that really made some difference in costs as we projected this year was fuel costs, fuel and oil, which plays a part of obviously in your operation costs and also um, with some of the chemical and fertilizer costs in the budgets. So Glennis, can you touch briefly on what the difference between your cash costs and your total economic costs are? Sure. So, you know, the cash costs are usually, you know, some fairly obvious ones, those input costs, you know, the fertilizer, the, the seed, um, chemicals, those kinds of things, but also your fuel, your repairs and labor costs. On the economic side of things, we, if we, we prepare a budget sort of, um, um, making the assumption that the operator is also the landowner. So there's an opportunity cost of land, there's an opportunity cost of machinery and also depreciation. So that those are non-cash. So you kind of think of all the cash kinds of things that you put in your budgets versus the non-cash to some degree. Okay, that would be sort of the difference. And economically, uh, you wanna cover um, all costs in the long run. So you might get by a few years when we have low prices of covering the cash, but in the long run, we want to make sure we're replenishing our equipment and that we're, you know, we're getting a return on investment of our land. So we want to look at the total economic costs. Thank you. Good question. Great. Thank you. So Aaron, can you give us the estimated cost to produce a calf? Yeah, when we look right now in Nebraska, again, this is highly variable. And I would just piggyback on what Glennis said around cash cost uh, versus economic costs. So when I look at economic cost in Nebraska right now, we're somewhere between $950 to $1,000 per cow. And what I mean by that is everything's included. We're including the value of grazed forage, if and if you own the land. 
We're also including your labor in there, meaning if you were to hire someone to do what you do, what would you need to pay them? Uh, we're including depreciation on cows and equipment. Uh, we're including everything in there, opportunity interest on the capital investment in the cows. So that's where that number comes from. Uh, you know, that roughly works out to around $2 a pound on a 500 pound calf uh, on from a, a cash, or excuse me, from an economic cost standpoint. Uh, when I look at other budgets across uh, the Northern Great Plains, we're probably a little on the high end compared to some others to the south of us, but uh, it's pretty consistent, interestingly, and when we look at other states as well. So Austin, is there some place that we can look to find comparable costs for our type of production? So actually, University of Minnesota has a, a program that they run that's called FinBin, and it's a it's a sub package that comes off of FinPack when you use that to analyze your farm. And what FinBin does is it takes all the results from from those instances put into FinPack and creates a report that you can look at and you can generate the reports based on um, crops or livestock or whole farm you can get down and start running into cash rents versus land owned um, the one comment i will make on it is before the webinar i went ahead and just ran a report to just try and get an idea of what kind of response rates i get um, running one for corn cash rent out of the about thousand responses that came back 47 of them were from Nebraska. A lot of them are from Minnesota. And so when you're going in and looking at those reports, you've got to take in, into account and then to notice what kind of numbers are coming back. And you can select by state, but if there's not enough instances from that state for the report you're looking at, it won't pull up. And so you might have to broaden your search a bit. And Austin, um, in prep for this today too, I, I think you know FinBan is great as far as looking at some comparisons. And like you said, you can look at all different kinds of comparisons, but also the structure of how they describe um, cost production looks a little different than even our budgets. So there's all the different resources. I mean, there's there's the same elements there but they, they sort of just structure that different. So you'll see different ways of looking at that. And I always tell people, it's good to look at, at to more than one source. So you can look at our budgets that are projections. But again, when you're looking at FinBin, those are sort of actuals. Those are, those are uh, accumulation of data in years past. So it's good to kind of, uh, to me, it's good to look at more than one resource. Thank you both. So Tina, you work with a lot of farms. So can you start by introducing what Nebraska Farm Business does and then tell us about characteristics of the most profitable farms and ranches in Nebraska? Sure. Um, so what we do um, is we do a lot of accounting work for farmers across Nebraska. But the other thing that we do is the financial analysis. And we actually use FinPAC and the data that we collect is, is what's up there in FinBin. Um, and so um, that you know, it gives the producers, again, that ability to, to know their costs um, and then also be able to compare that um, to those averages and, and being able to have that same structure like Glenn was, was talking about and how important that is to know that you're comparing apples and apples. So, um, so you know, that's what we do. Um, we do uh, gather a lot of that data. We analyze a lot of that information. Um, and one of the things that we do with the data that we collect is look at what we call our top efficient producers. Um, so we, we selected those, uh, it's probably been uh, probably 10, 12 years now uh, that we've been following the same group of producers. 
uh, when we picked them, we picked producers whose net farm income ratio was greater than 20% for at least three years in a row. So if you don't spend all day with ratios, uh, net farm income ratio is the percentage of income that you keep out of your gross. So with a 20% debt to ask, or sorry, 20% net income ratio, it means you're keeping 20 cents of every dollar that came into your operation. So that shows, and from our averages, we would run in a 12 to 13% fairly consistently. So these producers who are keeping 20 cents, um, were doing a pretty good job. Um, so we watched those, when we first started, those operations tended to be smaller operations that didn't carry a lot of debt. Um, now, as we've gone, again, close to this over 10 years, uh, those operations from a gross farm income standpoint are now fairly similar to our average. Um, we have operations that are um, all throughout the state, uh, dry land and irrigated. We don't see a lot of, um, of heavy livestock, especially with a livestock um, feeding operation because of the way that net farm income is calculated. Not that you can't be efficient feeding livestock, but the calculation makes it hard. Uh, one of those things where uh, when you're comparing some of those ratios, you really need to be in the same industry to, to make those ratios work. But so they do tend to be more crop operations. Um, but the things that we see with them is not necessarily that their uh, seed and fertilizer and chemical costs are greatly reduced from average, but it's a matter of being disciplined and consistent with all their expenses. So we'll see a dollar or two difference in seed and a dollar or two difference in chemicals and a dollar or two difference in fertilizer and all the way down through labor and utilities and insurance. And by the time we get down to the bottom of all those expenses, we're adding up to 20, 30, 40, sometimes even close to 60 or $70 an acre um, of difference in cost. And so it's, it's really that discipline of every cost control more so than really focusing just on the big ones. You know, Tina, I heard a quote from a farmer that said, if football is a game of inches, then farming is a game of pennies. And, and that's the truth. That's, that does work out really well. Yep. So Austin, our next question is for you. How do we find the sweet spot between maximizing yield or weight gain and minimizing cost of production? So the way I approach and look at it whenever I'm talking with somebody or looking at our own operation, uh, the the first thing I do is I'm trying to get an understanding of what our land can produce on a normal average year with, with a set of inputs. And so I might be looking at 10 years worth of information. So I get a grasp of if I do X, Y, and Z and get normal rainfall, I'm going to get this yield. And based on that information of cost numbers, I can go and I can look at what the forecasted numbers are, whether you're looking at USDA forecasts or looking at the Board of Trade for prices, but I'll use those prices to compare what the with my cost to look at what my return on investment is. And that's the bottom line is I'm always trying to keep a return on investment of X percentage or better. And so if I've got low commodity prices going in, I'm going to start doing what you were just talking about of cutting pennies back. Maybe I don't put in so much population on seed and I cut back there. Maybe I don't put on so much fertilizer. If the futures prices are high and I'm wanting to try and boost up the yield, because again, I've got that return investment in mind and I can make the profit doing it, I'll go ahead and add some in. And then it's just a matter of going through the year. If you're keeping track of your expenses and you're keeping track of what the market's doing, 
you're going through the process of if the prices keep creeping up and up versus where you had budgeted and expected, then you're going to be in a situation where maybe I do want to go ahead and do some fall aerial spraying in order to try and get that additional one or two bushel because it makes economical sense. So Austin, we have a follow-up question from the chat. What should be a good goal for a return on investment per acre? I will, I'll have Tina follow me up on this, but my comment's going to be, it really depends on the farmer. If you're somebody that's been farming for years and you've got everything paid for, your return on investment numbers probably ought to be pretty, pretty high up there compared to what I would see for an average. If you're just starting out, your return on investment numbers are probably going to be pretty dismal because you're, you're trying to get, get going and get things started and you've got a lot of startup expense matching that. Most of the producers I work with just want to have it be positive, right? That's, that's the goal is positive, forget return, but that's not necessarily the right answer. Um, you know, I think um, when we talk, when I you know, talk about different things, talking about building in a profit, you know, maybe thinking about, uh, it, it depends again on how you're looking at the information because we like to put a, a labor and management charge in that would return to your labor because that's one thing that a lot of producers don't factor in is paying themselves for what they do. The other thing would be that on top of that is be a profit. So, you know, maybe thinking about from a labor and management side, we like to look at what your family living and taxes cost because your operation needs to cover those two expenses that um, aren't part of your farm operation necessarily, but you still need that in order to make a net worth gain. Then beyond that would be a profit percentage um, so a lot of times I'll start with like a, like a percentage, so 5%, let's see what that does. Um, and some years that's not attainable, especially in a planning situation. Now, if we would have looked at um, the cash flows I did a year ago, they looked awful. You know, I mean, we couldn't even get to a positive, let alone worry about a profit. Um, of course, everything changed in 2020 and, you know, it ended up being a pretty good year for most guys. Um, and so some of that's hard to project, but putting that out there, at least in some sort of return, um, is, a, is at least understanding whether or not you're working for free or, um, or if, if you would be better off if you had invested your money somewhere else. So there's a question from the chat. And again, if you have questions for our panelists, please use the chat box or the Q&A. We are pulling questions from those two locations. The question is, I've seen some unit cost of productions work, workshops advertised. Is this the same concept? So this is Aaron. I guess I'm not sure if it re you're referring to the cow-calf unit cost production workshop. But yes, in those workshops, what we do is we go through and, and we talk about understanding what's happening in your operation. So in this case, we're focusing on a ranch. We talk about the different enterprises that are there, understanding what's happening in terms of value in those enterprises. So I think what's important to understand is if you don't break your operation into enterprises, it's really hard to get a handle on what's happening from a unit cost production perspective. So if I'm not identifying value generated by land ownership, or I'm not identifying well, what did it cost me to put up a ton of hay, if I'm just dumping everything in the same bucket, you have a hard time identifying where's value being created, where's cost occurring. So in a unit cost production workshop that I work with, we break the operation enterprises. We identify overhead costs, direct costs, where are those to be identified with each enterprise, and then try to really understand what's happening as a whole 
understanding the interaction between enterprises to try to get an accurate handle on what's occurring with a particular enterprise, whether that's what did it cost me to put up a ton of hay? What did it cost me to develop a replacement heifer? What's it cost me to produce a weaned calf? Those, those things often get lumped together in an operation as a whole to get a handle on an actual unit cost production. You need to be able to break those out. All right, we have a participant with their hand up, John Gable. John, I'm gonna allow you to talk and you can ask your question. So here you go. John, you are now able to unmute yourself and ask your question. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in uh, if you can give us some sort of range of the costs of production for corn, for example, in Western Nebraska. Okay, we will take here just a minute um, and have Glennis will pull that up for us and we will have her answer that for you in just a moment. So I'm gonna go ahead and mute you back on John and we will look that up for you. Why don't okay. you go ahead and I'll, and I'll, I'll pull that up, okay? Yep, so not a problem. Yeah. So we have, we have another question in the Q&A and we will um, look at that. It says, should we be looking at cost per bushel or cost per acre? And I'm gonna throw that to Tina first. Should we be looking at cost per bushel or cost per acre? We actually look at both. Um, you know, and it really comes down to, again, what you're using the information for. If you're using it for part of your marketing plan, then you need to be looking at cost per bushel um, and seeing where that goes. Um, you know, it also um, depends on, again, if you're comparing to somebody else, uh, you know, cost per acre in South Central Nebraska is going to be very different for corn than somebody in Southeast Nebraska, but cost per bushel might be similar. So, you know, I think um, you need to, you need to be aware of what you're comparing, what you're using that information for. But like I said, we generate both because I think there's value in both. So speaking of that, what are some elements that we would need in our records to be able to calculate either that cost per bushel or cost per acre? So I'm actually gonna give it to Aaron first on the cow-calf side, and then we'll come back to Tina. So on the cow-calf side, I think, again, I wanna be clear here, are we talking about an economic cost where we're gonna put in a value for uh, labor assets, uh, value for land we own, or are we just looking at cash costs? So, from my perspective to get a true picture of what's happening if we're wanting to evaluate what are we doing with the business, what's happening with the assets and the capital will you manage, we wanna put a, a value on all things. And so in the workshop we do, we put a value on the grass that you own, meaning that no free grass, you could lease that grass to someone else, that grass has value. And so you need to identify that value. Uh, same thing with cow ownership, uh, what's happening there with the cost to develop the heifer. So. I guess what we work look at is really all costs. Now then the nice thing about that is if you wanna just back into what are my cash costs, you can easily do that. But you have to track and know what your costs are. And then also this comes back to some accounting in terms of are you able to break out and identify uh, different enterprises and costs associated with those. And that goes as far as equipment, that goes as far as maybe some overheads related to labor, uh, being able to break that out. And you know, depending on your operation and your skill set, uh, you may have a a software program that helps you do that. But there's some folks that they can do that fairly simple with written records as well. There's just a whole gamut depending on where you're at. So I guess I would just say those are some things that are needed to really get a handle on 
what are your cost of production? And Tina, from your end? Yeah, I would agree. You know, getting your costs sorted out is first. I mean, you, you got to, I mean, depending again where you're at, you need to know the difference between what, what you paid the co-op for. How much was it was fertilizer? How much of it was chemicals? Or we're never going to get to know that. So, you know, if you're, um, again, depending on where your record keeping is, you know, those costs are very important. Also, you have to know your production stuff. So whether that's how many bushels you produced or how many calves were born or how much they weighed when they were weaned, you know, those kinds of production things, because we can't do, you know, pounds of gain if we don't know how many pounds were gained, you know. Um, so um, those production things are also important. I think one thing that producers struggle with is the fact that you really have to have kind of two sets of records that are both really great. And that's a set of financials and a set of, of production that matches that so that we can dig into those and identifying then um, figuring out how to identify each individual transaction. It's either for this enterprise, it's for this tax line item, it's for this year. Um, and so getting all that detail in there takes time. And one of the best things you can do, especially when it's you know three degrees outside, is spend some time in your books and getting them up to date and figuring out really efficient ways to get all of that information put together. So our next question comes from the chat and it is with the cost of land taxes in Nebraska in the long run and short run profitability, does it save more money renting or owning farm ground or grass? So who would like to take a stab at with the land costs in Nebraska, does it save more money renting or owning farm ground? I guess in our budgets um, that we produce each year, we put in that opportunity cost. So you'd have to determine what kind of return you would want on your investment for land. And oftentimes when I look at that, plus paying, you know, you have an opportunity cost of owning the land plus paying real estate taxes. Oftentimes um, it actually comes out fairly similar to if you were cash renting in certain areas. That's not always true, but that would, that'd be one thing, way to look at it is what kind of return would you want? Is it 2%, 3%? You know, you kind of have to look at what could I do with um, the value that I have in the land right now, um, plus your real estate taxes that you're paying. Um, and, and what's, what's uh, a realistic cash rent in your area? So you can look at it. There's that opportunity. And that's kind of what, that's how we build ours into our budgets. So I'll just chime in here real quick. I also think you need to understand what's your expectations for the land long term. Are you expecting appreciation in land value? And to me, land ownership is a different concept or decision than farming. And that might sound almost heretical, but on the one side, the decision to own land is really a different decision than the decision to farm, in my perspective, because you can farm and not own land. But purchasing a land and thinking about that long term, that's a really different decision. So I think you want to be careful how you evaluate that. Uh, you know, if you're expecting land appreciation, that's a, a return that comes in addition to not only return to either renting or farming it, if you're just going to be in production. One other thing that often comes up in my conversations with producers about that is, is the stability of owning versus renting of, you know, knowing that you get to farm that, you know, there's a an uncapturable cost in that. Um, and then it, it certainly comes down to what you're paying for rent as well. Cause sometimes there are certainly areas where the rent is very aggressive 
And, um, you know, so it's a hard question to answer in a broad term um, because there's so many variables that go into that. And some of them are not economic based. I just want to point out to our participants, I did drop the Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey into the chat box. If you have not seen that before, um, the Department of Agricultural Economics publishes an annual report that looks at not only land values, but also uh, cash rental rates reported across the state. Um, it also has some interesting um, factors looking at um, what influences agricultural land markets. And we know that uh, property taxes in Nebraska um, has a negative effect on land values and cash rental rates. Um, and then also looks at rates of return on agricultural land um, for the state of Nebraska. So if you haven't dug into that, that would be um, a really great report for you to spend some time with. And we recommend that you reach out to um, the authors of that report, Jim Jansen and Jeff Stokes, if you have questions about that. Also the regional economists, myself, um, Austin and Jim are happy to answer questions more regionally about agricultural land rates um, in your area. So Glennis, you have some costs of production for Western Nebraska. You wanna go ahead and tell us about those. Yes, uh, well, we recently did a landlord-tenant workshop and I, I had pulled together some information for the panhandle. And there are a few of our corn budgets that are created for sort of um, uh, general practices in the panhandle. And I'm not sure if John was talking about irrigated or dry land, but we I can see the two irrigated budgets that I had pulled um, for 2021, we were looking at a cash cost on the high side of $2.99 and $3.80 on an economic side. And that was using 175 bushel yield. So I would suggest that, again, there's probably, there's 25 corn budgets that we publish. And those are found, again, you can go to farm.unl.edu. And then there's some tabs across the top of that website crops and livestock. And so if you hover over the crops, you'll see you'll see a link to get to all of the uh, crop budgets. And those are also in CropWatch. Or let's say you don't have access and you don't you know, like doing those kinds of things, just let us know and we can get a copy um, to you or your local extension office can probably help you with copies of those budgets. If so, and they're, they're available online right now um, in Excel. So you can go in and actually make some changes um, that represent you know, more of your practices or there's printable copies. And so those, that's really what we've been doing with our budgets um, up to this point in time. And I wanna tell you a little bit about future, but I'll go ahead and let's, let's go through our questions here. So our next question is, how do I account for overhead costs that are utilized by multiple enterprises? So Tina, how do we account for those overhead expenses? Yeah, so I, you know, we make a percentage allocation on those things. So um, I like to start from a starting place of maybe looking at how much gross income comes in from livestock versus crops, maybe, or something like that. That's not always right. Um, so, so I'll start there and then use the, the producer's uh, gut to tell me if that makes sense. Um, but one thing I think is important is that once we establish those, as long as the operation doesn't change dramatically, I think those percentages need to stay fairly consistent, or you might be manipulating the data to make it say what you want. You know, sometimes um, if a, somebody really likes to raise those 15 cows, 
um, in good years, we'll allocate a little bit more overhead there. Then they'll want to alloc over or allocate less overhead there. So it still looks like they make sense because they like those cows or maybe if they like raising beans or they like, you know, whatever the, the enterprise is, um, it's important if you're really going to want to look at it that those overhead percentages stay consistent as long as the operation's staying consistent. So can you tell us what fits in overhead expenses? So exactly what kinds of expenses are you looking at there? Yeah, you know, I think it's things that, you know, from a, well, so that the, probably the right answer is that's those things that, that would adjust or that wouldn't go away if you reduce those acres or those cows. So your feed bill is going to go down if you have less cows. That's a variable cost, but your insurance bill is probably not going to change. That's an overhead cost. Um, same thing, you know, uh, your utilities, your cell phone bill is going to be there whether you um, farm an extra 80 acres or not. Um, so anything that's going to change um, if, if you uh, add or subtract from the production total, it would be a variable cost. Everything else would be considered overhead. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Our next question comes from the chat. Um, looking at the 2021 soybean budgets, the cash, the cash cost per bushel, does that include cash rent? And you quoted $5.53 to $7.11. So Glennis, does that include cash rent? All right, so as I mentioned, our budgets are prepared with the assumption that it, these are owner operators. So we do put in an opportunity cost uh, for the land when we're using a 3% figure. So if you figure, we, we use the Nebraska real estate values that Jessica mentioned earlier that is um, published. So we use those in our budgets. So that can really vary. Uh, but when we're looking at a dry land state budget, we're looking at about $135. So you could basically equivalent that to a cash rent. That'd be on a dry land budget. I'm just glancing at some of these budgets. Again, they vary. But on, the, on a pivot ground for the state, we're looking at over $250 to $260 on a cash rent basis. So yes, so in essence, there is something equivalent to a cash rent in those, all right? So if they wanted to modify your budgets for themselves, how would they go about doing that? Now, I do want to I do want to point out that this question was about cash costs. And, and when we're talking about land ownership, that would actually be in the total costs. So, right, that would be one of the differences. If you were going to go in and modify one of our budgets, you would want to um, take out the, the land opportunity costs and put it in as a cash cost. So I would be looking more at the total costs and our budgets to equivalent that cash rent scenario. So Jessica, was there something else I, I missed in your last comment there? Um, well, let's, let's pause here for half a second. We actually had a, a, a more pertinent qu question come through the chat. And so can you clarify what is meant by opportunity cost in the context of owning land? So in that context, um, you would take a look at what your um, value of land. So, you know, what would be sort of a market value of your land? So if you were, were able to sell it, what would you, what would, what would you get? And take that times uh, an opportunity interest rate. So that might be 2%. And like say, we're using 3% in our budgets for 2021, but that might be on the high side. So you determine what would be, what would be the return on investment that you'd want to have in that. So that's what we, how we figure an opportunity cost in our budgets. 
Austin? It, yeah, Go ahead. I'll, I'm just going to take opportunity costs and try and bring it down another level. Just if if I've got land that's worth five thousand dollars an acre, that five thousand dollars an acre has a value to it that I could be using for other other ventures. And so mm-hmm. when we're talking about opportunity costs, we're talking about what if I took that land, got rid of it, took the cash value and put it in stocks, or maybe I mm-hmm. went and bought an apartment complex in downtown Lincoln to rent to college kids that we're trying to, yeah, we're, we're, we're just trying to outline what's the best possible use for this, this asset that we have in our grasp. And another way to look at it though, too, is what would be, what could you rent it for? So what, what is the typical rent for that type of land in your area? That could be also how you would consider opportunity cost. I would just chime in here. When we do a unit cost production and we're looking at opportunity costs, we do use cash value for either renting the land, what, what we could rent that for. And that's what that's what we use as our opportunity number. It's, it's a good baseline to help us calculate what that might be. Right. I'm gonna throw this next question over to Tina. And the question is, what is a reasonable estimate to use for land appreciation on pivot irrigated land over the next 10 years? So again, the question is, what is the reasonable estimate to use for land appreciation on pivot irrigated land over the next 10 years? Is four to 5% reasonable? Yeah, I, I think, well, I, I can't predict what's gonna happen next week, let alone what might happen in the next 10 years. I mean. Land values could go. I mean, we know who knows what could happen, um, and and there's really no way to uh, to know that. I think it's important, um, you know, to be careful. Like, you know, we're talking about this opportunity cost, and and that's that's real and important. Also important to remember that you know, as we inflate those land values, as those go up on our balance sheets, things like that. There's there's negative effects that can come into that as well. You know, we can look back into the early 80s and see what happens when uh, we use those appreciated land values on our balance sheets um, and in some of these decisions that we make and then the values fall out and our net worth goes away and all of a sudden, you know, our balance sheet doesn't look so good. Um, those kinds of things um, are, can be, you know, a little bit, you know, I, not dangerous isn't the right word, but, you know, can cause us some problems as we're looking at these things. So we just want to be careful in counting on the appreciation of land value as part of our net worth building. Um, and instead of, we you know, we really try and focus on that earned net worth change. Awesome. So our next question is for Austin. Austin, how do I account for inputs that have variable costs? So if I buy something and it has say I'm buying corn last year and it was three and then it was four and now it's five. How do I account for that? So depending on what the asset or what the inventory item is and what we're trying to account for, direct costing is always one of those things that's probably the most streamlined and, and most direct and how it's getting expenses transferred around. But when you're starting to talk about you know, as you mentioned, feed and you're buying corn and you're buying it at different rates for different weeks and different months. Um, There's a couple of different ways you can do it. One of the ways that I see down here in my neck of the woods quite often, I see a lot of guys just doing weighted averages. And so they'll keep a running tally of what they've got for um, bushels purchases and price. And they'll keep a 
a tab of going in and going out and that's how they use it to price it when they actually take stuff out. Um, there's also different messages or methods like um, LIFO and FIFO and accounting. Um, those are more, um, there, there's different situations where you would use different ones depending on how you're wanting to account for it and what you want the inventory valuation to look like. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, some of it's a matter of operation. A lot of it's a matter of um, the type of enterprise you're in and what the industry standard is. Great, thank you for that. So the next question comes from the Q&A box and it says, what has the historical appreciation of land been over the last 10 years? And again, we would direct you, direct you to that Nebraska Farm Real Estate Report. I'll put that in the chat um, yet again for you to reference. Um, and I don't have a 10 year um, percentage change, but I do have a five year land value change for the entire state of Nebraska over the past five years, it's actually dropped uh, 16%. So again, if you have questions about agricultural land values, we really encourage you to connect with Jim Jansen and Jeff Stokes within our department and look at that Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey. Our next question is for Tina. Tina, when we look at a financial statement, how can I determine if I'm profitable? Well, financial statements is a pretty broad, uh, statement, but, or, uh, yeah, I mean, cause we could be looking at, um, you know, we could be looking at a tax return and quite frankly, there's really nothing there that will tell you much about profitability. Um, most cash or most tax returns are prepared on a cash basis. So all we put on there is what went in and out of the operation through the year. Uh, it's hard for, it would be hard for an operation making a lot of money to show very little on a tax return, but it can be done. And it would be hard for an operation not making any money to show a profit on a tax return. Uh, but again, there's things that happen that that, that happens. So the tax return is not a good way to, to look at profitability at all. Um, if we're looking at a um, balance sheet, you know, that's going to give us a little bit of an idea. One of the things that's hard uh, with balance sheets is if they're not consistently dated. Uh, sometimes we have we struggle with really knowing how much of that is earned in, in any given year. So we like to do all of our balance sheets as of the, the last date of their fiscal year. So most people that's December 31st, unless they've got a fiscal year corp. Uh, but using that 12 months in between will give us the good uh, measurement tool as to how that net worth is increasing. At the end of the day, increasing in net worth is probably the, the bottom line measurement for profitability as long as you're not making those balance sheets with increased land values, things like that that are that are inflating that that doesn't actually pertain to the pro, to the profitability of the operation. Or, you know, if your retirement accounts are doing awesome and that's adding to your net worth, but not really pertaining to the farm. So really, to get down to profitability, we need to look at accrual adjusted income statements. Uh, that's going to tell you profitability. Um, and again, accrual versus cash. We're talking about. Uh, the easiest way I can explain the difference is with, from a think about corn operation um, that that operation may buy inputs in 2019, grow a cop in 20 and sell it in 21. So your cash income is spread over three years. And what we want to do from an accrual standpoint is smush it all right back into 20. So we're going to pull in those expenses that you paid in 19, bring in the sales from 21. And that way we're really going to see how things are going and what the profitability level is. Um, again, that's profitability. 
uh, if you're spending more than you make, still going to see that backward slide in net worth. Um, so lots of things to look at, but but uh, that accrual adjusted income statement is going to be the best for profitability. So we have about 15 minutes left with our panelists. So I really encourage you, if you have any questions, to please put them in the chat box or in the Q&A. So Austin, building off of what Tina discussed, um, how can I use... Um, how can I go from my cash accounting system, which most of us as farms and ranches have, how do I do those accrual adjustments? So my, my recommendation for somebody just starting out wanting to do an accrual adjustment from a cash basis accounting record book, um, do a web search online. My, my go-to source when I'm doing it for our farm or, or getting somebody started, Iowa State's got a really handy guide and worksheet to work through. Um, you'll see the link in the in the chat box but basically what we're doing just as tina said is we're trying to move expenses and move income into a specific production year and so if i'm going out and i'm buying you know, three years worth of prepaid expenses which i've run into operations doing that we need to spread those out into the years that they were actually utilized and so it's a matter of taking what your beginning inventory is what the ending inventory is and making adjustment based on what the usage was for that year in order to figure out what exactly we need. And like I said, those worksheets, um, there's a lot of sources and extension. Iowa State has a really good one. Those will help guide you through that process if this is your first time looking at one. So Glennis, um, we know that Nebraska Extension has been producing the uh, Excel file uh, budgets for a long time, but looking into the future, I know you have a new product that's coming out. So do you want to touch a little bit on the agricultural budget calculator? Perfect timing, Jessica. I actually just um, put a note into the chat <laughs> that talks about farm.unl.edu backslash ABC. So that's a link where you can go. I don't know if it's an active link. You mind with there? Thank you. But anyway, we are developing a new ag budget calculator and we've focused on crop um, budgeting so far, we will be adding a livestock component within this next year. So we're excited about that. Um, but what's what's nice there is, and I tell people all the time that our budgets are really a nice guide, but um, you can do much better than that and go in and customize. You can, like, like Jessica said, we could use our Excel budgets in the past to make some updates and make them more of our own. But now the ABC program, the Ag Budget Calculator that we're working on, um, you know, it's available for you to download or basically you just register now and I'll send you a link and then you can create your account and go in and start using it. And then we'd love to have feedback because we are, you know, in the, in the early stages of it, but it's working really well. It's working now um, to do everything our budgets do plus some. So um, we've got revenue built into it and so on at this point in time. So we would really encourage you to take a look at it. But the bottom line is that you... Um, can really look at more of your costs, particularly your machinery and implement costs, um, your labor costs. A lot of the things that we've mentioned today, we're building into this program and we're trying to make it user-friendly. So we hope that you'll take advantage and, and take a look at that. And then um, we've got help sessions. There's some tutorials online. And I know the 25th in the afternoon, I've got a help session to kind of walk people through that. And then Women in Ag Conference is coming up next week. And I've got a on-demand session there where I'm kind of showing people how to use it. So there's lots of opportunities that you can learn more. Okay, thanks. 
Thank you, Glennis. I'm going to do a last call. If you have um, any questions, please put them in the chat box or in the Q&A. And Randy just snuck his in. What usage will return the best combine sprayer and grain bin or planter? So again, what usage will return the best combine sprayer, grain bin or planter? Austin, you want to take a stab at that? You're looking at over how many acres you're covering. Is that what I'm mm -hmm. gathering? Um, it, it's going to, again, it, it depends on the, the machine. A lot of it, if I go out and I have a machine from 1995 that I've been keeping up and it's running, the, the return on that's going to be a lot better than if I go out and buy a brand new combine for 300000 put another $100,000 head on it and take off through, I'm going to have to cover a lot of, a lot of acres in order to get that to pencil out very well. Um, Tina, have you run into any specific numbers when you've been running through your stuff? Yeah, we don't look at individual operations um, very often with our producers. Um, yeah, it, all of those things are, are expensive. Um, all of those things have pluses and minuses to, to having ownership of, um, you know, I think all of it comes back to that opportunity cost question of, you know, do you want, you know, a half a million dollars tied up into a combine or is that money better spent somewhere else in the operation if you can rent it? Um, you know, so all those kinds of things are, are hard and, and it's variable per operation and, um, you know, certainly a, an individual conversation. Thank you for that question. Um, and I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, a recording of this webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu, where you can register for other upcoming events. Remember to visit farm.unl.edu for a schedule of upcoming farm and ranch management webinars in this series, as well as archived recordings of past webinars. After today's webinar, you will be receiving a short survey in your email, we would really appreciate your feedback on today's session and input on future sessions. Thank you again for joining us. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.